first book was like 800,000 and change. And then it totaled to like, it's probably like more like 1.7 million now. That's uh, huge, copies. man. Yeah. That's so, huge. I got on all these shows, Good Morning America, Wendy Williams, Fox and Friends, Home Shopping Network a bunch of times and you know, a bunch of other like local stations and stuff. So it, it was a good run. Wait, so you're on Home that, Shopping Network selling the book? Yeah, yeah. Four times. Welcome to the Smartest Podcast, a show that is dedicated to helping you achieve success. I'm your host, John Colderize Lawson, entrepreneur and best-selling author. In this episode, you will hear from one of the most successful people in the world. So get ready to improve yourself by learning from those who have already found success. Yo guys, what's up? This is your boy, John, the smartest podcast. Another dope ass episode is about to come your way because on the other side here, I've got your boy, my boy, Ron Douglas, an amazing, amazing entrepreneur. And uh, I'm really glad to have you here. Ron, tell the people what you do. You know, you're like the guy from the fifth floor that I don't remember, you know, from Martin. That What was Martin's friend? It was Tommy. Big bro Tommy? from the, oh, Tommy? No, Tommy. Tommy. That yeah, guy no Tommy. Job. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? What's up, man? I appreciate, appreciate you uh, saying I'm amazing, like two amazings, amazing, amazing entrepreneur. Yes. That's better than just amazing, double amazing. The That's double amazing. <laughs> you amaze the amazing ones. Right, right. With no job. That, With no job. No job. Can't put a title. I'm like, what's his title, man? What would, if you had to put a title on it other than entrepreneur, what would it be? Uh, New York Times bestselling author, investor, uh, serial entrepreneur. I don't know. Digital marketer. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way, you know, I, I kind of look at you is just so many different things. But, you know, we can talk about those things. But more importantly for me, I mean, like it's 2023. And so um, what's going to be different this year? Just in general. Uh, this year? Yeah. For me or for everybody else? Yeah, either or, or both. <laughs> for me, not much. I mean, okay. I'm still going to be uh, business as usual. My business actually, you know, I, I believe in like most experts forecast that we're going into a recession this year. So that actually helps our business, as you know, because, you know, more and more people come online to find other opportunities. And I tap right into that, you know, with my different businesses and webinars and promotions and things that we do, events. So for me, not too much. The other thing that I have going is I have a, a real estate portfolio. So I would be affected if my tenants lose their jobs and can't pay their rent. But I don't really see that happen on, on a mass scale. I may like have- right higher right. than normal vacancies, you know, but last year I collected 92%, you know, last year wasn't that great of a year either. either. Right. So, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think all these predictions are a little late. 
Right, right. Yeah, it's yeah. like we're already in it. Like, so, so what did they say? Like, uh, right before the elections, they changed the rules on recessions. They're like, nope, nope, not a recession. Right. The elections coming up. They right. changed the whole definition on it. So we had two quarters of declining growth, and they're like, nope. No, nope, that's that. not enough. Yes. It's all good right now. Just vote for us. Like, that was crazy to me. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people out there struggling. I mean, I, I, I'm blessed to be where I'm at and I worked a lot of years, like decades to, to get here, but I know what it's like to struggle and a lot of people out there struggling. I know what it's like to get laid off. I know what it's like to, you know, wonder about your future and have kids and bills and stuff you have to worry about. And, and I don't wish that on anyone. And, you know, you get through it. I mean, it's all with time, you, you get through it, you figure out another way. There's so many other ways to hustle and make some money if you had to. Like most people, you know, you get laid off for the, for the, from the job, but there's other things you can do. You just don't want to do it. You know, mm -hmm. like anybody could go be a salesperson somewhere. You just, maybe you just don't want to do it. So, I mean, in this country that we live in with all this opportunity, somebody will hire you for something, but people are stuck in this box of like, I have to do this certain thing or I have to advance my career or, you know, if you need money, you need money. You can go out. Go out and hustle. That's true. You could uh, buy stuff in the fleet market and sell it on Craig's, uh, sell it on Craigslist or Facebook marketplace if you needed to. Like, yeah. It's all about how bad you really need it. Yep. I mean, it's, uh, and, it, and it's not necessarily, I mean, honestly, now that you mentioned that, uh, that's kind of how I got into business completely is because I was about to go bankrupt, you know, messing around with real estate. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. If I had an advisor like yourself, maybe I would have learned something, you know, 92% ain't a bad number. Yeah. You know, I took some knocks when I first got started in real estate too. I mean, I had a steady job and I had a business going. So I had some, so the main thing with real estate is you got to have reserves, right? Mm. Just in case something happens, either a line of credit or something you could tap into or some money in the bank because stuff is always going to happen. The roof is going to go. Yeah. The uh, HVAC. Yeah. You know, something is always going to happen and you're going to need reserves to uh, to do it. But I don't want to know if you want to make this a real estate discussion, how much you want to get into that. It is anything. But. I don't care, man. <laughs> I, I'm sucking the wisdom out right now. So right. that's right. So with, with real estate, it's all about reserves. And it's all about knowing over the long term, the properties are going to appreciate. So even if you, put money into repairs, you're not losing any money. You're putting it, putting it into the house and you're increasing the equity of the house and you're increasing the length that you can own that house and profitably collect money. So, you know, especially when you have a line of credit on another house, you could take that, take equity from here, put it over to here, that value of that building goes up. So you're never really losing money. You're just investing long-term and over the long-term it all pays off. So you have to kind of think of it that way. So, what was your first investment property? My first investment property was, well, I got into the game because my mom's house that I grew up in and that my uh, siblings still lived in at the time in 2006 went into a foreclosure. Like she couldn't afford the house. She inherited it from my uh, grandfather mm. and um, she, I didn't get along with her boyfriend. So I had to go. So she kicked me out of the house. So for a period of time, I didn't have a place to live ironically. And then years later, I ended up bailing them all out and, and mm. 
getting that house out of foreclosure. And the house had a lot of equity in it. So I took over the payments. It was a two family house. So I rented out the upstairs and that's how I got into the real estate game. Trying to save the house that I grew up in. So my wow. mom and siblings would have a place to live. So, so now it was your grandfather's house? It was original? my grandfather's house. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Do you still own this house? No, we sold it in 2019. In and she, uh, she passed in 19 and we sold it shortly after. And my siblings, we just, I just gave them, we just split the profit. I just I didn't have to. I just, you just like split just, the profit with them. Yeah. Drama. Keep it at a minimum. Yeah. That right. money was gone within, <laughs> within nine months. They have blew that money on something. I don't know. And was still asking me for money. <laughs> but yeah, well, that's how that's how I uh, got into real estate. Wow. So this equity line. So I took out a home equity line because the house had a lot of equity. And I used that as a down payment to buy my first investment property. If you don't consider that one the first, I guess my second investment property at that point. And um, yeah, it was a fourplex. It was a four unit house wow. in uh, upstate New York. Four unit really? building. Yeah. So, I mean, like you went from the family home, even though it was a duplex, you know, to a fourplex. Now, what made you want to go? I mean, yeah, like you said, is this going to be about? But yeah, let's talk about the mentality there of going into a multi-unit. And you weren't living in the state, were you? Where the multi-unit was? Yeah, it was in New York. I was living in New York, but not, I was about two and a half hours away. I was living in Queens and that was in uh, upstate New York. Did you take some kind of course that made you say, hey, let's do the four thing? You know, I just did some research to see what people were saying, like forums and message boards. And it was always like the more units, the better, right? So when you think of a building with multiple units, so like say compare buying a fourplex versus buying four single family houses, Uh right? With a fourplex, you got one roof, one heater, one of everything, one property to manage, one group of tenants all in the same place. Whereas if you buy four single families, you got four of everything to worry about and your Mm. expenses and four tax bills and everything is higher versus you could have that one building with multiple incomes coming in from that one, one place. And it's just a more, more profitable venture to do it that way. So this is 2019. You still own that. Uh, yeah. So that, that. Well, which one are you referring to? <laughs> the fourplex. Yeah. So I still let's, own say, the fourplex. let's say I got that's that your in... original, you know, the other one you, you worked it out, you know, but mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily you going in with the idea of this is going to be a you know income stream for me but this fourplex now this was an investment for you right absolutely yeah i still own that one yep it's doing well yeah it's doing well it's not my best one but it's still going strong since 2007 yeah so it's it's pretty much the rents it's pretty much paid for itself and then some so it's just house money at this point so all the money that i put into it i've made Mm. back in rents and it's a pay, the mortgage is paid off and everything is just house money for that one. That's brilliant, man. So, I mean, like, do, do you, are you still buying more and more of these? And is that kind of, you know, uh, is that one of your side hustles or is this pretty much a very big focus for you? Uh, it's, I would say it's a side thing that I do. I mean, I've been buying slowly, but surely since then I have 10, I just bought my 10th one, my 10th 
multifamily closed just recently, like uh, a week ago. Wow. January 6th. So how yeah. many doors is it? How many doors do you have now? I have 40, exactly 40 what? doors. No. 40 units? Mm-hmm. Now, do okay, seriously, do, do I, I get it. Do you have 40 times the headache? No, no. I mean, I don't manage them myself. So it well, no. yeah. Uh, it doesn't you know, scale like that. The headache? The headache? No, the headache doesn't scale like that, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. No, I no, mean, there's stuff important. that comes out, but the property manager deals with it. I'll just kind of, you know. He's the buffer. He deals with the headaches and he just yes. tells me what I need to spend. But there's money coming. The money coming in in rents is always enough to cover the headaches. Yes. So I'm not really concerned. And I don't really, you know, I, it's just extra money for me because I still have my, my business and whatnot. And I'm just in it for the long run because I know these houses, most of them are already doubled since I uh, bought them. Like in value. a lot of the older ones. Yeah. So the market keeps going up in value. So, I mean, you, you, you win in multiple ways, right? You win with the house appreciating. You win by being able to depreciate the value of that house over like 20, 20 something years, you know, on your taxes. Right. So even though the house is appreciating in value for tax purposes, you're writing off depreciation against that. And the appreciation doesn't come into play until you sell the house. And if you never sell it, if you pass it down to your heirs, they don't have to pay those taxes on it, right? So that's that's two ways you win: appreciation mm. and value, depreciation on your taxes, right? As a, as a tax write-off, you also win because tenants are paying down the mortgages, right? So you get an appreciation that way, and you also win from the cash flow coming in from the rents, excess cash flow. So there's so many ways that you win with real estate. You know, it's, it's like the best, say, what, what do they say? More millionaires were made than anything else with, uh, with real estate. Yeah. 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 Because there's so many benefits to it. So mm-hmm. many benefits. But it's, I, I think that the key, what you said, man, is management, you know? And I think so many people, and, and I don't know. Uh, I mean, I got lucky with my property. I just happened to like say I'm too far away don't want to manage it and put a manager in there but I know a lot of people don't put management in there and yeah I couldn't do it without a manager the tenants don't even have my phone number I don't want them to even know my name I don't want manager is like this old old middle middle middle-aged white guy and they think he's the owner I'm like yes y'all can keep thinking he's the owner that's fine contact him yeah you never I don't have any contact with my renter it's like Nope. She wants to do X. Oh, okay, go do it. Why? Who cares? So I like that. I like that. So that's why I'm like thinking about, well, if I get more and more of these. Now, does you do you have the same? Are you most of yours in the same state? Yeah, they're all right now in the same area. Really? Same within the same 15 miles. That's of each amazing. Other, 15, so you miles. just keep do you keep looking in that area? For that reason, yeah, yeah. There's not there's not many areas in the country where you'll find you know five unit, six unit buildings, eight unit type like buildings like right. that for you know unless you're willing to unless you want to pay millions for it. Like so, this area I'm in is affordable. It's not like so I know what blocks to avoid at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. I've had some hard knocks with properties I had to get rid of, and 
stuff like that. But I know where to go. And, um, you know, there's certain areas like upstate New York, like uh, uh, Phoenix, around that area, like um, Columbus, Ohio, you know, yeah, areas like Columbus. that where they have buildings you could buy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's true, too. A lot of these places, you know, it's what's going on now, what they're building now is not what they built, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, where yeah. they were these multi-unit buildings, you know, it's like Columbus is full of them. I was yeah. just visiting my mom up there and I'm looking around, I'm like, man, there's a lot of duplexes, triplexes, quads. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, this might be a, a good place. So now that uh, you say that, it's got my ears is a good place. So here's the thing, it's like, you, you don't wanna be in the hood. So you don't want to go so cheap where you're trying to buy these dirt cheap properties in the hood because good luck okay. collecting the rent. I, le- right? I learned you that to hard. the rent and you get robbed on the way out. So uh-huh. you don't really collect the rent. You know, you don't want to. So and you don't want to be in the super high end because the numbers don't work. It's too expensive to be there. And usually it's not a lot of rentals in that area anyway. So you want to be right in the middle, like a blue collar neighborhood area with jobs. So management is super important, but location is just as important, if not more. And the price that you get it at, and you know, those are all considerations. All right. So give me like the the one thing I should avoid completely. Like, what's the biggest mistake you ever made with uh, real estate? Oh, for sure, buying in the hood. <laughs> buying in the hood was like one of the biggest in the area where you know people. <laughs> if they want to live there to begin the type of person that wants to i mean i don't want to knock the hood i'm from hollis queens so i don't really yeah want to, yeah yeah the, the type of we're person. talking about investing right investing yeah. right so the mentality is just different that you know like people that live in that area they know they're in the worst area you know they they just don't really care about paying the rent like i pay it when i pay it if i don't have it i don't have it I got to buy something, Christmas gifts for everybody. That's going to go first. And then you're going to be late on your rent. I don't care. You know, I'm just going to do what I want to do with my money. And and they know how to play the game. They'll just squat there and not pay. And then you got to go to court and spend money and get them out. So one of the biggest, uh, (laughs) the biggest kind of real estate uh, faux pas, I would say it was like a minor disaster with that property. I ended up writing off the whole damn property. So I bought this property. for $118,000 in the hood. And I thought it was a great deal. It was a, a three, three unit property and um, struggled to collect the rent, held it for like three years. It was always a struggle. The building was always losing money. So I'm like, screw it, I'm just gonna get rid of it. So I went to sell it. And then I ended up selling it to an investor and I got a, got a good price. But what I did was he wanted me to owner finance it to him to so like be the uh-huh. bank owner yep. finance it to him for three years and then he was gonna um refinance after that so there was like yeah. a balloon payment after three years that he was responsible to make and he was gonna um owner finance he was gonna find get he was gonna refinance it after that mm-hmm. so he was paying you know it started out great i mean i i thought like okay he's an investor he has other properties if he doesn't pay i can come after him his assets and stuff like that so this guy he paid well he paid on time for the first year then after that i guess he fell into some hard times and he stopped paying refused to pay and then i'm like oh damn so i went to try to foreclose on him 
to take the property back. And prior to me doing that, he filed bankruptcy. Mm. So I was kind of screwed. So now I had to wait for the whole bankruptcy proceedings. And that- Wait, are on. you collecting, Is were there tenants? There were tenants, but being that he claimed bankruptcy, I wasn't able to go in and force him to give me that money from the tenants. And the tenants weren't really paying on time anyway. And so this dragged on for like a year. I was wow. finally able to uh, get the property back. And that dragged on for like another six months where I actually mm -hmm. went to auction. And by the time it went to auction, because that's how it has to happen. Yeah. Has to go to auction. You have to like, if nobody bids high enough, you can claim it at auction. Yeah. But by the time that happened, the property was like condemned. He had never paid taxes on it the whole time he was there. It was like three years worth of back taxes on it. It was probably like 80 grand worth of repairs. He just like crackheads were living there. It was boarded up. It was like vagrants were breaking in and squatting there. So it just wasn't even worth putting the money in to fix it up again and try to rent it. And then like the other houses that, that block just diminished dramatically. And like the other houses were bought up. His boards so on that just, house, yeah. and there was like a fire in this other house next door. So it was just not a good block. It was like right. one of the worst blocks in that area. So I ended up just writing off the whole thing as a loss and letting that property go. Ugh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh. That was the, uh, the worst yeah. thing that ever happened with real estate. Other than that, it's been, it's been good. So avoid that scenario. And there's a couple yeah. of things to avoid in that scenario. Yeah. You know, not just the being location. The yeah, being in the hood's the beginning. Yeah, owner financing to someone. Yes. That, yeah, that he didn't have enough skin in the game either. I didn't take enough as a down payment. Right, you know, right. So it's easy I for took, him to just blow it off. Yeah, it should have been like 10, 20% down payment. You know, he just blew the whole thing off and didn't care. And yeah, it was a disaster. Mm. Man, that's a crazy story. That's a crazy story. All right. So, I mean, one of the things you do basically, though, is you're building assets with these homes, but also, I mean, on your digital marketing side, it seems like you build a lot of assets there with your webinars. And can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know. I mean, you know, after all the uh, big time book selling and being the cook of the world, you know, how did you get into it? You know, yeah. you can talk so, about the cook of the world, too. I mean, I always find the KFC story to be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So many stories we can go. I mean, I've, I started doing digital marketing in uh, 20, 2001. I started in digital marketing and I started out just as an affiliate marketer promoting other people's stuff. And I stumbled upon that idea for, you know, I wanted to create my own product. So I was an affiliate promoting other people's products. And I was like, it'd be cool if I had a bunch of people like me promoting me instead. So let me create a product, put it out there on this marketplace called ClickBank, where you can like list products for sale, digital products. They do physical now too, like supplements and a lot of things like that are on there. It's like a marketplace where, like say if I have a website or a blog or email list and I'm looking for a way to monetize it, I'm looking for something to promote where I can earn a commission as an affiliate. I go to ClickBank, I look at that marketplace, like what would my audience be interested in buying? So you have a marketplace where people are constantly looking for products to sell. So it's a way mm -hmm. to get people promoting your product. And I 
found that out early on as an affiliate of that marketplace and then as a product seller. So I had the top product in the cooking cooking category for like three or four years going back like 2004, 2005 to like late 2007 or so, something like that. So I was able to build a huge audience from that. It was a book, it was a cookbook about restaurant recipes. So I used to teach people how to make copycat versions of their favorite dishes. And I'm not a chef or anything. I just used to, you know, research it online. And then later on, we built a community and people used to test these recipes. And we had a big message board of over like 125,000 people on this uh, message board on the site. This was before Facebook, before yeah. YouTube. Well, yeah, before 2004-ish, you know, before social media really kicked off. That was social media. Yeah, message right? boards with social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I built up a big audience with that and um, parlayed that into a book deal with Simon and & Schuster. And one of my uh, friends was a publicist and he got me on a different bunch of different TV shows to promote the book and uh, really took off, ended up selling a million and a half copies. I've done six books with Simon & Schuster. So the first book was like 800,000 and change. And then the total to like, it's probably like more like 1.7 million now. That's uh, huge, man. Yeah. That's so, huge. I got on all these shows, Good Morning America, Wendy Williams, Fox and Friends, Home Shopping Network a bunch of times and you know, a bunch of other like local stations and stuff. So it, it was a good run. Wait, so you're on Home that, Shopping Network selling the book? Yeah, yeah. Four times I was on there. Would have been five times, but one time I sold out. I was scheduled at a morning episode, and then I had an afternoon episode. And so and they the sold out all the inventory, so I couldn't go on the uh, afternoon because there's nothing left. All right, I'm curious about that. Who was providing the inventory? The publisher? Yeah, Simon Schuster. Okay, so they were taking the discounts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I wasn't making a whole making, lot of money. Yeah, you were really, making the same. Yeah, okay, yeah, got same it. royalties. I was royalties twenty five yeah, yeah. a book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it was just, it did a lot for my career just being Absolutely. on that. Like, I can't tell you how much money I've made from that appearance, from those appearances. Mm. You know, like I've done products and presentations related to like, here's how I did X, Y, Z. Here's what I learned from Home Shopping Network. That's all right. Right. You know, so, yeah. What'd you learn from Home Shopping Network? Nothing. <laughs> no, I mean, they, they have some. That is tactics, not true. Like, that is not true. They had a network, at least. They had an audience. Yeah, yeah no. I went through their sales training before appearing on the show, and you know, they had now, an audience. That you probably didn't learn a whole lot from. Yeah, well, it was, I mean, just Home Shopping Network in general. They have, uh -huh. they have like that double thing going on, a double motivation to get you to buy. They have the scarcity in terms of the limit of num the limited number of quantity, and they had that urgency in terms of like the countdown because the episode is going to be over like seven more minutes, like the mm. episode is going to be over. So people are like, oh, let me get, let me buy right now. So it creates like an impulse buy type of environment. And I asked them, I'm like, you know, you guys do this live 24 hours a day, all year long, every day. Why don't you just take some of your better episodes and repeat them? Mm -hmm. And they said, no, we don't want to do that because we want it to be a live environment where people have to buy right now. So they wouldn't want to, they probably, maybe they were getting trouble, maybe false advertisement or something if they just recorded it and it was like, okay, you got 12 minutes left and it's an episode from like last fall or something. Right, right. You know, 
I don't know. But yeah, that was their, their thing. I also learned is, like- But this is you thinking, we could replay this and actually- Right, and I, I do that all day long with right. webinars, right? I, right. Play, I run the recorded webinar in a, in a live environment, but it's recording, playing, and then I'll have someone moderate the chat. So it's kind of live, it's like live, not live. It's kind of, if someone asks a question like, is this live? We say, yeah, we're here with you live. How can I help you? Mm. You know, so someone's there actually in, engaging with these folks. But it's, it's not playing a lot, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So it's a hybrid. Right, so I do a lot of that. So yeah, so long story short, um, uh, I parlayed that. My, my, my career has been a series of, you know, I've done this, now what's next? Like, okay, low hanging fruit now. People want to know, like, how did you get a book deal? How did you get on TV? How did you do all these things? So I started teaching what I what I did. Started, mm -hmm. you know, started teaching writers. I had a bunch of sites like Elite Writers Lab and started this event called Bestseller Summit and started doing all that stuff, started doing coaching and, and started creating products related to uh, what I did with digital marketing and parlayed that into doing webinars, teaching people, like selling people on the webinars, selling higher ticket stuff. So like $1,000, $1,500, $2,000. $2, I did webinars so long that I started doing events, teaching people how to do webinars. And then that became a big thing where now I have this event. I have the number one event for people that are um, in the webinar game. It's called WebinarCon. And um, that attracts a lot of high level people each year that are experts, influencers, and uh, digital marketers that come that wanna improve their webinar game and want to find do cross promotions with other people that do webinars then we started a mastermind on the back of that called uh, webinar alliance so that's a $25,000 mastermind on the back of that helping people all year long get people to promote their webinar so those are some of the things i've done and all that money pretty much goes into buying goes into real estate, estate. <laughs> yeah ah uh, i like it i like it and if you if you um, if people are interested in webinars and 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 things like that, is 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 WebinarCon open to the public or is it, you know, a pretty well, elite kind of thing? WebinarCon is kind of like an elite audience. It's not a huge event. It's right. a, it's a high ticket event. It's five thousand dollars, and people pay that because they know they're going to make a lot more back. So if you have a webinar or if you have a product that you do well with a webinar, it's an event to go to. But if you don't have anything to sell, if you're just you know trying to figure things out, right. it's probably not the event for you yet. Not the time, you really need to be ready to, uh, already on the ground running. Yeah, yeah. And this will help you amplify. Yeah, that type of thing, yeah. Okay. We're trying to keep it, I mean, that's the whole theme of, that's like the unique selling proposition of WebinarCon. It's the event you go to, to meet high-end, people in the webinar industry, high-end people, high-end influencers, and um, avoid newbies. Nothing against newbies, but it's not the newbie event. So all yeah. the other events are newbie events. You know, you go to Funnel Hacking Live or Traffic and Conversion Summit, it'll be newbies or, or like people with jobs that are just there to, uh, as like professional working for an advertising agency or working in mar right. marketing department or some company, but they're not like hardcore entrepreneurs yet for better or, or for worse.
So let me ask you, I mean, this is definitely feeling like, or people are calling it, you know, the age of the short format video with uh, the rise of TikToks and Reels and, you know, uh, what, are, what are the YouTube ones now that are coming up? But I mean, is, is, is webinar still a file? I mean, is that still a thing? Or Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Know? Absolutely. So the short form videos, YouTube shorts and you know, the reels, Facebook reels and all those, yeah. TikTok. And those are great for building an audience and then bonding with that audience so that that audience recognizes your brand, your face, your whatever, whoever's the face of your brand. They recognize that. And that is a big part of selling. It's mm -hmm. like getting that, getting them to know, like, and trust you, that familiarity of them. Okay, I know this guy. I like what he's saying, right? And then from there, when you get them on a webinar, they're even more likely to watch that entire presentation, even more likely to buy that product. So it's really like a precursor, like a pre-sell to your webinar offer. So you still need, when you're selling, you know, stuff that's uh, discretionary, you know, stuff that's not impulse type buys, like selling e-com stuff, you could do that just short little video look at this thing you know, and buy this. Right, right. But it's a longer, more of a longer sales process when you're selling something for $1,000, $2,000 or more, you know, even selling something for $10,000, $20,000 where you're getting people on the phone after they watch the webinar presentation. It's a longer sales process where they have to get more information about your product. And you can't really do that in the short videos. The short video is mainly for uh, capturing people, entertaining people, and people that might not have necessarily been searching for, like if I'm selling a product about, you know, high ticket affiliate marketing, I'm not trying to do videos about, here's how you do a high ticket affiliate marketing because people aren't necessarily searching for that. I'm trying to do videos on, here's how you can start a side hustle. Here's how you can increase your income. Here's how you can, uh, you know, retire early. You know, stuff that has more of a mainstream appeal that people would actually be searching for. So you get them in on that level, get them interested, and then you show them the mechanism for doing it. Got Go it. here and watch this thing on exactly how to do it and how I can help you do it. So that's how so you kind of webinar. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we, we have this term. Hmm, I'm just trying to think how to put this. But I mean, we have this term webinar, right? And it came from teleseminar, right? So the teleseminar turns into the webinar when the internet starts having the ability to do video, right? right? But today, I think that the iteration of, of so many things, it's really just about capturing the attention for a long period of time and teaching them enough so that they're able to convert either into, like you said, on the phone, uh, you know, a phone call or actually purchasing the product based on the long formatted video. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, I mean, I'm just saying it's like webinar is a almost generic term now for a long form video of, it doesn't have to have necessarily all the same things that it had back in the day or does it? Right, well, I mean, teleseminar comes from seminar. Right? Yeah, like right. Seminar speaking right. from the stage. That was the original, like people, you get people in a room. So webinars are just, and teleseminars and, and seminars in general, you get people in a room. That's the mm. difference between that and just a long form video. 
long form video. People like, I can pause it. I'll come back to this. You know, it's not Got an it. event, right? Got so it. webinar still has, okay. you do it right, has that event type feel where people are in the room and there's a natural kind of motivation to take action before the end of that particular event, you know? Yes. It's like a natural urgency, like this is ending now, go ahead and take this desired action, you know, rather than I'm gonna come back to it, I'm gonna watch this later, I'm gonna wait, I'm not act actively part of this particular thing, it's just a video, so, you know, I may or may not. And when people say I'm gonna come back to it, they don't come back to it. Mm -hmm. you know, whereas a webinar, it's right there, you're like speaking directly to them, you know, same thing. So what's the, the difference? Yeah, what's the difference in conversion on replays versus, and I'm talking about like I signed up, I didn't watch it live, but I watch it later versus people that come live for the actual event. Oh, huge difference. Huge. I mean, you can make a lot of money on the replays just mm -hmm. because of the volume of people is much more because people watch it on their own time. You could set a deadline for that as well. Like if you do replays, you need to have a deadline. Like you need to watch this by this X date or, you know, it's going to be taken away or people won't, won't watch it. Right. And you'll get a lot of sales on deadline day. So you'll get a lot of sales on the webinar. Okay. The deadline for the webinar, because the webinar is ending, you know, you got 10 minutes left in this presentation. And then you'll get a lot of sales on the expiration day of the, uh, the replay because people just need a reason to act now, right? That's sales 101. You got to give people a reason to do it right now. Compelling reason. Like do it right now, you get all these bonuses. Do it right now, you get this extra thing. Do it right now, you get a cheaper price. So do it later, you're not gonna get these bonuses. You're gonna pay more. You're gonna, you know, you're not gonna get this particular thing added in, this feature. So you gotta give them a reason to do it right now. So the difference in conversions. So, I mean, you're gonna get less people on a webinar than you will on a replay because replay, they could just watch it whenever they feel like it. So it's mm -hmm. more people. So less people will actually show up live, but the people that do show up live, those are real dedicated people. Someone that shows up live at a given time and spends an hour with you, two hours with you, that is a high quality prospect that's likely to buy. So webinars, you know, depending on the price point, so say if you sell something for $1,000, you might get 10%, 12%. Whereas you put a video on a, sale, on a sales page, you might get 2%, 3%. You know stuff like that so is there is there a uh is there a specific length that it needs to be or that it actually you know works best when you said you know an hour two hours what what what's a good length uh it really depends it really depends on how engaging your presentation is so what's a good length for a netflix movie Right. You might be mm. you might watch it for 40, 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So you right. might watch it for three and a half hours, depending on how engaging it is, depending on how much you want to know about it. Personally, I like to have mine about 90 minutes to two hours. And I like to get to the point and, and drop the payment link, the option for them to buy mm -hmm. at about 45 minutes to an hour, you know, just to get okay. them like here, you know, if you got to leave, like. You know, here's what it is. Here's the offer. Here's the payment uh, way to make the payment. Here's the link, you know, and then you can spend the rest of the time doing Q and a explaining other things, adding bonuses, just sweetening the pot to make them uh, want to buy and to engage with them more. 
but yeah i like to uh get them situated like 45 minutes like there you go because most people like an hour is like a long time for them yeah so. yeah absolutely i mean i i find you know the attention span of people today is different so let me ask you about this because you mentioned earlier that you do replays with live chat have you found those to be as engaging for the audience that's watching at that time you know um as well done right there's not much difference really not much difference yeah okay okay that's when you say replay, you mean like a webinar in a, in a live environment, like a live environment webinar room where they log into this webinar they room. They log in, they it's playing to a live. Yeah, listen no, to a recording. Yeah, yeah, no back button or nothing like that. No pause, they difference. gotta stay, yeah. What, what, what does make a difference though, is if you're doing a live webinar and you're engaging with them directly where you're calling their name, that does give you a, a bump in terms of like, they feel like they're part of this thing, but you know, it's not a huge difference if you have a good presentation, a good offer, and if the people are being engaged with via live chat instead of uh, you actually, the speaker actually calling their name. Hmm. Now, if I'm in the live, or if it's a live chat, would it be Ron doing the live chat or be Ron's assistant doing a live chat? In terms of- my assistant. Okay, but I'm not saying, I'm saying in terms of how it, shows up in the chat yeah i mean there's two ways to think about that right um if you want to be more personal with them you should probably do it as you mm. engaging with them but the other thing is like they're wondering how the hell are you doing this presentation and chatting with them at the same time <laughs> yeah you, know, you didn't wrote a whole up. paragraph yeah yeah like <laughs> you just said a whole thing and how you yeah. able to, you know <laughs> That could like throw it off. But I mean, you don't want to lie to people and tell them that, yeah. that, um, you know, I tell them it's on an on-demand presentation. I don't necessarily say it's a, a live presentation, but you know, you don't want to lie to them. At the same time, you know, engaging with them helps, but I like to, I personally like to do it with a, an assistant. It makes you seem more uh, prestigious anyway, mm. you know, like, like you don't, you, got, you don't you log to, on yeah. to a presentation with uh, Elon Musk and expect Elon Musk to be chatting with you in the chat box. It right. makes him look like, like you just, it's too close. You know, the power, you not you have some type of power distance, but they feel like they just don't have immediate access to you to say whatever they want to say when, you know. Yeah, so it's, it's two ways to think about it. All right, fantastic, man, because you've done a lot. I mean, a lot of these, and here's the thing. You're you're at the point now where you're almost like a network, you know. You're you're kind of you're kind of QVC for webinars at this point, you know. I mean, people come on your network, you introduce the person, and then the presentation goes. And uh, you might come back on at some point, but you're you're not actually you know doing this. So I mean, you've done a whole whole lot of different products to the same audience would you say you know make money online type vibe yeah similar audience similar audience online, biz op you know that, that right. is the uh, audience so what's the sweet price on point? webinars what'd you say what's the sweet price point uh for me 997 
thousand dollars still is a good price point. I like the way the numbers, the math on that. I mean, I've had I've had success at uh, fourteen ninety seven, fifteen hundred. I've had success at two thousand, but you know, thousand with a payment plan like three payments of three ninety seven or mm-hmm. three payments of two payments of five sixty nine. That doesn't produce a whole lot of resistance in terms of people got to think about it and ask their spouse and you know do all these things so once the higher you go the more resistance obviously you get i think you know between and webinars anywhere between 500 bucks and 2500 bucks you know or so i've seen 2500 or three payments of a thousand do well but i think anything outside of that in, in my market requires a phone call it gets them on the phone yeah Makes a phone close. Wow. All right. Some good stuff there. Now I know what to do with my money. After I get it in a webinar, I go and put it into a real estate and then I make sure I don't buy in the hood. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so now I got the whole plan here. I got the blueprint. Let me ask you this last question, man. You know, this is my last question. I like to ask everybody, is there something I should have asked you that I didn't? Uh, I would say, uh, well, I mean, we didn't go into my background other than the uh, the uh, internet marketing stuff where I started. I had a whole life before that. I was 27 when I started, so we didn't go no, we back further than that. We don't really care about that. We don't right? care. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was a Wall Street guy prior that's to right. that. That's right. Talk about the Wall Street, because, I mean, it is imperative that people understand that you do have a financial background too. But, no, no, I don't want to talk about that. No, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, that was my career. I was a Wall Street guy, I worked for JP Morgan Chase and I went for my MBA. They paid for all this stuff. They paid, they had a tuition reimbursement program. So I was like, shoot, might as well. I went for my MBA. I became a chartered financial analyst. That took me three years. They paid for that. So I had a whole career going and then got laid off in 2007. Mm. And I had this business going at the same time. So I always felt like a fish out of water, even though I had these credentials and whatnot, I never felt like I was like gonna succeed, gonna get rich on their dime, you know, working for them. So I always, I was always an entrepreneur. So I always was looking for a way out or what else can I do? So um, online marketing, kind of stumbled upon it a friend in, in grad school introduced me to email marketing and that's how I really got started so I was actually working for JP Morgan Chase and doing my business at the same time for like six years before mm. I got laid off and before I finally uh went full-time so it's like probably getting laid off was really a blessing absolutely because you might have been stuck in this you know, matrix of both worlds for a long time and never really succeeding in either. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like uh, you never know who you're gonna meet or who you who you can meet when you're available at eleven o'clock in the morning <laughs> and you're mm. not at work. You know, when you're like ten thirty. You know, right. Time we did this interview. You know, usually I would be at work. Right. I can't do it. Right. I can only do it during my lunch break, which is now an hour. But you know. When you get laid off, you can go network with people. You can do, you know, morning show interviews. You can do all this <laughs> stuff. Like you could meet with other people that that 
don't have that uh, nine to five job or those obligations. It absolutely helps, man. Kinda open. It the door's kind of open too for you when they have to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a whole thing about when, when things have to happen, things tend they, to happen. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I you say know? some of the some of the best motivation is a foot up your ass. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly, or or a bill that's due like, that absolutely a, yep. has to be paid. Or, yeah, you know, it's amazing what you can do when you have to, and you feel like your back is against the wall, and that's when you really have to get creative and it's like sink or swim. You know, like my problem today is putting myself in the situation where I feel like I have to do certain things. Yeah, I don't. I don't, absolutely don't. I don't have to do anything. Like I could just, you know, I get this passive income coming in. I have these events coming up, and on a day-to-day basis, I don't necessarily have to be in front of a computer or have to be working or have to be trying to get additional income. So some days I just don't <laughs> where, where I should be building, 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 maximizing my time. Some days I'm just not motivated at all. And it's because I don't have to be. So yeah, you're playing with that cute puppy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Killer. <laughs> all right, man. I appreciate you hanging out and uh doing some uh talks with us this early in the morning but let me ask you if people want to follow you and uh learn more from you where should they go just go to rondouglas.com i have an email list you can sign up for and or you can go to facebook and uh search for me on instagram mr ron douglas is my handle okay on, uh, on ig i'm about to, to say don't go on facebook IG. don't go on facebook man because <laughs> you're, you're a comedian over there. They'd be like, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ron, I appreciate you, brother. All right. Thank you, John. This has been an honor. Thanks for having me on your show. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Smartest Podcast. I hope you found that conversation helpful and inspiring. So be sure to subscribe and do not miss any future episodes. Until next time, enjoy your journey of success. Thanks for listening.